I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts uh. check it out now Let us talk NFL once again. We do this in some form. This gentleman has been kind enough to join me, either on a podcast or on the radio show, for eight years in a row now, I think, at this time of year. And I cannot thank him enough. And I bet you when I said eight years, he's like, no, it can't be eight years. Ladies and gentlemen, the creator of FootballOutsiders.com and a real pioneer in pro football analytics, maybe the pioneer, quite frankly, it's our buddy Aaron Schatz. Good morning, Aaron. Eight years? No, it can't be eight years. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's like I fed you that line. <laughs> yes, it is. It's eight years, Aaron. Aaron Schatz, who uh, also works for ESPN, we should note, at F-O underscore A Schatz. That's S-C-H-A-T-Z. Aaron, we'll get to the four games this weekend, but you know what I have to ask you first. You at Football Outsiders, you've been going back in history, and you sort of got... Uh, I don't want to say stalled, but, you know, you slowed down when you got to 1986 and then into 1985. But you have completed 1985. Up until now, the skins of 91 were number one all time through DVOA. The 2007 Patriots were second. Did the 85 Bears eclipse them both? The answer is no for the regular season. And for the playoff, if you include playoffs, they do eclipse the 2007 Patriots. But we still have your 1991 Redskins as our number one team of all time, yes. even including the playoffs. Yes. I don't know why this makes me so happy, Aaron, but it does. Your, your numbers I, validates it. Obviously, look, this is only one way to measure. There are multi, you know, there's lots of different statistical methods to measure the past. And, uh, but this is the first time anybody has gone back and actually analyzed down to the play-by-play level for yes. these years from the 80s and 90s. So we do have, you know, if you if you want to declare that the playoffs are twice as important as the regular season, then the Bears would slightly pass the Redskins. What we, when I say with the playoffs included, I'm including the playoffs with each playoff game with the same importance as the regular season. And and don't forget, as dominant as the '85 Bears were in the playoffs, the '91 Redskins also were really good in the playoffs. I mean. In the Super Bowl, they were up 31 to 10 before mm-hmm. the Bills scored two touchdowns in, you know, what was essentially garbage time. And they won the NFC Championship by 41 to 10. So, you know, it wasn't quite as dominant as the, as the Bears in 85, but it was pretty darn good. I attended both of those, and you're right, uh, 41 to 10 against the Lions. And then it was 24 to nothing, I believe, also in that Super Bowl. Kurt Gouveia picked off a pass, pick six at the beginning of the second half, and it was pretty much Katie barred the door. But this is so prideful for me because, you know, and this I'll speak for Redskin fans and we'll get off this, but the, the Redskins are akin to me, and I've said this before on the podcast and on the show, on the radio show, they're akin to the San Antonio Spurs in the sense that when people talk about basketball, the Lakers are the shiny object or the Chicago Bulls were the shiny object, but the Spurs had this 
excellence over a long period of time, and they just sort of crept up every few years, and people just took it for granted. And I think the Redskins, also with, with players who didn't really seek out attention in the press, right? Tim Duncan was Art Monk. Didn't, didn't hate the press, just didn't really want to get interviewed. They're kind of that. And so I don't want that team to ever get lost in history. And thank God for you, Aaron. You make sure it hasn't happened. Yeah, they, they were not the uh, media stars that the 85 Bears were, certainly. And, and the other thing is, um, you don't have the same. The 85 Bears sort of, they built that team. 84, the defense was really good. 86, the defense was really good. Um, you know, it's sort of the, the, Red, the Redskins came more out of nowhere, sort of. Uh, you know, they had a lot of 10 win seasons, but, you know, the quarterback kept changing, uh, right. You know, Gibbs has won, won three Super Bowls with three different, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, three different quarterbacks. So you don't have to say, they didn't have the same, like where, you know, the core was as well known and then, and then they weren't as media friendly. So, um, you know, as one as much as they had a lot of 10 win seasons, it was, it was, they were just 10 win seasons. Like the two seasons before were 10 and six. The one before that was seven and nine. So you don't have the same sort of build and hype that the 85 bears had, right? I mean, the 85 bears recorded Super Bowl shuffle during the season. Nothing said they were actually going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's right. During They could have been like the 2007 Patriots and blown the Super Bowl. And then they'd be like, what did we record this for? <laughs> By the way, all of this through the prism of uh, Aaron's uh, stat over there, Football Outsiders, DVOA, Defense Adjusted Value Over Average, which calculates a team's record, uh, excuse me, a team's success, rather, based on the down and distance of each play during the season, then calculates how much more or less successful each team is compared to the league average. That's a short hack explanation of it. Uh, bearing the headline, though, perhaps I am as we move to 2019, because on that list of the greatest teams of all time through DVOA, at number seven, Aaron, sits the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. Do tell. Yes. For the regular season, you know, not including the playoffs, since they haven't played in the playoffs yet. But yes, the, the Baltimore Ravens are our number seven regular season team of all time. And that is, uh, I don't think people realize just what a juggernaut this Ravens team is. And, and uh like the Bears of 85 and the Redskins of 91, like you have to be in order to be one of the best teams of all time. They were a really well-rounded team. They were number one on offense, number four on defense, and number 10 in special teams, basically because they had one bad game. Without week 15, they'd be like number three in special teams. So they were just really good all around and they're they're going into the playoffs as a really dominant team. In our uh, our simulations, they win the play, uh, the Super Bowl forty four percent of the time. Forty four percent of the time, I would assume San Francisco would be the next highest percentage. Um, we have the San Francisco and Kansas City essentially tied fourteen point two. Oh, interesting. But all the way down to fourteen point two from forty four percent. Yeah, that's a big. It's a big. We really just have Baltimore as dominant because also, if you look at Baltimore, they've played their their bad games were so early in the season that if you look at how they played for the last ten weeks, uh, they've had a DVOA in their single games of over thirty percent for ten straight weeks. Well, the only other team that had over 30% for the entire year was Kansas City at 30.2. So essentially, Baltimore, every one of their last 10 games, has been better than every other team has been for the whole season. Wow, your numbers really like there's, no bad games. there's no bad games. There's no yeah. off games in there. No, you're right. Like, they haven't had any off games. The close games have been against good opponents, so once you adjust for their opponent, they're playing very well in all of their games. I don't, I don't hugely disagree with that, but I, I'm sure there are people listening who are, who are pretty surprised by that gap. That's, that's pretty stark. Um, so Baltimore is the number 17. The 2019 Ravens are the number 17 all-time through DVOA, through the lens of DVOA. Were there any other superlatives, let's call it, uh, top 20-ish stuff, either to the bad or to the good? Let's uh, be very interesting to hear to the bad also, per unit or overall. Yeah, well, the Patriots were sitting among our top ever defenses for most of the year, 
and then had their worst game of the season in Week 17 against Miami. Yeah, Absolutely fell fat on their faces. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as a result, fell out of our top 10. So the 2019 Patriots defense comes out as our number 16 defense of all time. Interesting. Interesting. So that, and were it not for that Miami game, they're a top 10 team easily. If it's not for that Miami game, they're a top 10 defense, defense of all time. Of all time. Uh, yes. Were there any just home? And then the, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. The Tampa Bay Bucks, which nobody thought about, but their pass defense was mediocre, but their run defense was spectacular. <laughs> and they come out as our yeah. number six best run defense ever. Number six best run defense ever, the Bucks of this year. I don't think there's a single yeah. person listening who would have guessed that. Wow. If you, I mean, if you had Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara, you know they had really bad games against Tampa Bay yeah. compared to the rest of their season. Yeah. And it, it is also why fantasy, you know, uh, pundits loved every Buccaneers game. It's why the overs had cashed so well for the Buccaneers. Part of the reason, because everybody was throwing on them. You couldn't run on them. So everybody had to go to the right. And then there's the Jameis factor. And the opposite, yeah. opposite was the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers were the fifth worst run defense we've ever measured. And fantasy, if you liked over-unders, you liked the Carolina Panthers for the opposite reason, because you could go over on all of the running backs, and, and Carolina would give up the yardage. They sure would. Redskins had two 100-yard backs against them, I believe. Um, over 200. Yeah, I mean, so many games where they were just getting crushed on defense. Um, and so no overall to the bad top 20 this year? Miami. Miami was our sixth, uh, sorry, our, our, uh, our sixth worst overall defense and our fourth worst pass defense. Because even as Miami solved its offense that had an average offense over the second half of the year, their defense and their pass defense in particular continued to be bad over the second half of the year. I mean, other than that pick six, Brady played reasonably well in that week 17 game. The problem was that the Patriots defense shut down and the Miami offense played well. So the Miami defense was still bad for the whole year. So you said sixth worst defense overall, fourth worst, worst pass defense overall. Yep. And yet they are all this talk about them drafting a quarterback. Like that's not going to help. Well, they need one in the long term. Their quarterback is 40 years old or whatever. Yeah, but it seems like that's not, I mean, based on what you just said, good Lord, we're, they're, you know, they're missing the point, it seems like, because they can. Yeah, but I, I, the quarterback is still how you build your team for the future. Yeah. And that, that team is about building for the future at this point. So that's still what they really need is a quarterback. And okay. if they can, you want to use a lot of their other draft picks on defense, that's okay with me. I, but they, they, they just, they gave up a lot of passing yardage. Last thing on the season long, how many of the 12 playoff teams did your numbers predict before the season started correctly? Uh, I think we were at seven this year, but Tennessee and Green Bay were like the first team predicted out in each conference. I see. So you got, uh, you were very so close that's to how nine. We ended up with seven instead okay. of nine. Yeah. All right, I lied. One last one, and this is a is a two pronged. What's the team that's under the radar that perhaps didn't make the playoffs? Perhaps they did make the playoffs, but mostly likely didn't make the playoffs. That the average fan is not really thinking about for futures bets into next year. That you think really underperformed, and what's the team that is the most overperforming that's in the playoffs? Well, I think that everybody knows about Dallas. Everybody's going to be hammering Dallas on future bets next year because anybody who's smart enough to bet on this stuff knows that offense is more consistent than defense, that they were really bad in close games, that they're going to probably have a coaching change, that that'll help them with close games, right? Dallas was sixth in our numbers despite being eight and eight. So that's the team that stands out for next year as being better than their win-loss record. But the other one is the Rams. The Rams were 12th at nine and seven. Right, I think there's some some people feel like the Rams fell apart, but if you look at their overall play, the Rams did not fully fall apart. Uh, the offense declined certainly more than expected, but I think the Rams are going to come back a little bit next year. Cowboys and Rams, I think that makes sense to everybody. And then what's the most overachieving where you're like, man, this team probably shouldn't be in the postseason? Well, I mean, we'll talk about it when we talk about the postseason game, okay. but the lowest rated team of the postseason teams for us is Houston. 
Okay. Okay. That's a portent of what's coming up right after the break. We'll continue, and we'll talk about the four games specifically this weekend. Aaron Schatz, great stuff from Football Outsiders, at F-O underscore A Schatz, S-C-H-A-T-Z. Keep it right here for more of A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Thursday, January 9th, 2020. It's the Beating the Book Podcast, Megapod Division Round. Gil Alexander, along with the Staples, Michael Palm from Circus Sports. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Gil. How are you? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for asking. Todd Wishnev from the Showtime docuseries Action. Todd, how you been, man? Oh, it's just been a thrilling life, Gil. How about you? <laughs> and uh, good, but I will say this. We were supposed to have Michael Lombardi on the show today. Uh, VEASAN's own Michael Lombardi. He also does his own podcast called GM Shuffle. He's got his own book, Gridiron Genius. He writes for The Athletic. Michael does the podcast with Adnan Verk, and Adnan Verk had a death in the family, and so they had to move their podcast to exactly when we're recording ours. So Michael will be with us next week, and dutifully, because we can always depend on him, and we love having him on, because he's really a regular here, too. He's really part of the crew. It's my producer number five from uh, VEASAN. He also has his own show at VEASAN. I don't want to bury the headline. Uh, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 Eastern, 4 to 6 Pacific, called Market Watch. It's the great Jeff Parles. Thank you for doing this, Jeff. Of course, Gil. It's always an honor to be with you and Mike and Toddy. Uh, even uh, even though uh, before uh, before we started the uh, record button, we sounded like Todd was recording from uh, the surface of the sun. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yes. We have, we have him now. It's good. Todd shows nothing but respect for the show by making sure that he's moving around at all times during the show. So sometimes it sounds echoey and sometimes it doesn't. But Todd is situated not in the kitchen now, correct, Todd? Well, I respect the show incredibly due to the fact that I just signed a multi-million dollar contract with the Megapod. Yes, you and, did. Um, <laughs> you that's did. why I, uh, you know, I get $1.1 million per year from doing this. So, of course, I have to respect it properly. You weren't supposed to release the details on that. But yes, Megapod, mega year deal for Todd Wishnev. Mike, last week... It was silly of me not to have asked you, so I'm going to ask you right now. Circus Sports, obviously, when Week 17 ended, you had the results of your year-long contest, of your quarter four. How did the initial Circus Sports million conclude, sir? Well, the uh, the gentleman that was in the lead, Booty Blockers, um, he, he maintained the lead and held on to win. He really, uh, probably from the halfway point, was in first place. The key game came down to... The Eagles and the Giants. He needed he needed the Eagles in Week 17. Um, the person that was in second needed the Giants. Once that result was in, and the Eagles covered the four and a half, he was really home free. Um, his name is Isaac Meyer. He is a uh, portfolio manager from Los Angeles, I believe. Isaac won Meyer won it. Are you kidding me? Do you know Isaac Meyer? I know him. Yes, absolutely. Are you serious? Isaac Meyer. Isaac Meyer came up to me. I'm sorry for interrupting you, Mike, but I'm just like astounded. The the Isaac Meyer came up to me early in the football season when he had heard me, or might have been. I think it might have even been baseball um, when he heard me on Gill's show and obviously saw the Showtime thing. And we had a whole long conversation in the uh, in the sports book one day. And he he messaged me messages me on Twitter all the time, or you know once in a while. And uh, I can't believe that. That's the guy who won it? Wow. He's 34, Gil. He's a portfolio manager from L.A. He's actually arriving in Vegas this morning. He's going to be on uh, on VEASAN uh, with Derek and maybe myself this afternoon on My Guys at 3.05. Then tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. at the Golden Gate uh, Circus Boards, we're going to have a ceremony that will be taped. Much like at the Masters, I'll play the role of Jim Nance. Um, <laughs> Derek, will, Derek, Derek will play the club president. Jeff Benson will play the low amateur score. Uh, and Isaac Meyer at that time in, in this ceremony will receive his blue jacket and his million dollars. Um, so very similar to the Masters other than the fact that a Jew will be allowed there. <laughs> Is there really a blue jacket involved? Yeah, everybody had to put their jacket sizes down. Oh, that's right, that's right. All right. Yeah, he's 41 regular. We had Derek Taylor make the jacket for him, so this will be the, the first ceremony. Isaac Meyer from L.A., 34 years old, the first, the inaugural winner of the Circus Sports Million, million-dollar grand prize. What was his percentage, his final percentage, do you remember? Well, he got 58 and a half. 
right, out of what, a to possible 85. Well, Todd is very good at math and charismatic. He can do the, he can do the percentage there. 58.5 divided by, by 85, 85 68.8. Uh -huh. Pretty damn good. Pretty, pretty good. And who won uh, the, the fourth quarter, just to be thorough? Four, yeah, fourth quarter was um, for the thir third out of four quarters, a single winner, Gil, which is really surprising again. Um, the, the name uh, Tall and Nasty uh, is a gentleman. I if from uh, The detail I got was from Montana. And he actually finished with the best quarterly. Well, I guess it's what's weighted by the five weeks, right? But he finished with 20 and a half points for to win the fourth quarter, the $142,000. Nice. And now how do you feel about the, uh, the Westgate doing quarterlies next year, Mike? Well, the two changes I wish they would have made, which is the, the rake percentage and uh, the, all the free entries they give out, they, they stood pat with that and they copied everything else out of Circa, obviously. They're going to quarterly winners, uh, three winners each quarter. They're going to a later time. Uh, to submit entries on Saturday. They're going to three entries instead of two. So when when I heard the news last Tuesday night, I, I thought it was sort of akin to uh, McDonald's announcing they were uh, dumping the Big Mac and going to serve Whoppers. <laughs> yeah, I thought that answer would be similar to that. People can read in between the lines there if they want. All right, well, congratulations on your first year, man. It was nothing but a success. You guys were pitch perfect. You did everything right from the way you you started and sort of began Circus Sports, the way you instituted the contest, all the rules to that contest. And you guys have been such a shot in the arm for Las Vegas sports betting in general, even beyond that contest. So seriously, man, you and uh, Derek deserve a big congratulations. Derek deserves a lot of credit. And then uh, we deserve credit for hiring a really good team. Um, obviously, Met Metcalf, Chris Bennett, Matt Lindemann and the other risk managers there, I think they've done an outstanding job. What we expected from the first six months of the sports book or seven months from June 1st till now it's really exceeded our expectations, the reality of it. And uh, I think we've made a lot of right moves. It's still a, a big learning curve your first year. Um, as far as contests go, we're looking to either right at the end of this month or early in February announce what our contest or contests will be for football next year and be ready to start taking entries the first week of March. Awesome, because people who listen to this podcast and did not get a chance to enter this past year, you'll have all the information, and they'll be able to make their decision for next year. So hopefully it will be a nice spike, not only from this show, but just in general for your next contest. Todd, and as you call Metcalf and Lindemann, what do you call them? Jesus and the other guy? <laughs> I thought it was Jesus and God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Jesus and God, my fault. Yes, who run the sports book over there at... Uh, at Circus Sports. And, of course, the big grand open scheduled for December of 2020 for the new Shangri-La Sportsbook at the new Circa. Okay, let's begin. Division round. Two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Unlike last week when the NFC was on Sunday and the AFC preceded that on Saturday, back-to-back -back games in both conferences, this is more traditional now for the division round where the NFC games are the bookends, the AFC games are in between. Saturday games start a little later. 4.35 p.m. Eastern, 1.35 Pacific, Minnesota at San Francisco. The Vikings, the sixth seed in the NFC, now will play the one seed by virtue of their win at New Orleans over the New Orleans Saints, a game that was, for me, just completely what I will take away from was Sean Payton's horrific time management gaffes at the end of both halves, end of the first half. Drew Brees and the Saints rushed to the line of scrimmage to get a playoff before the two-minute warning when they should have just milked it and taken their time. Instead, Brees throws a pick, which is returned 30 yards. The Vikings end up scoring a touchdown. They take the lead into the locker room, and Will Lutz misses a field goal at the end of the half. End of regulation. The Vikings have the ball. Just under three minutes left in the game. The Saints have used both of their first two timeouts. They get a sack from Cameron Jordan after two other plays for a loss. And the Saints elect not to use their final timeout. The Vikings are able to run more than a minute, excuse me, 59 seconds to be precise, off the clock. Saints end up then getting the ball back with less than two minutes left. They do matriculate down the field and eventually get the game-tying field goal, but it's a Will Lutz corkscrew job, and the Saints never end up using their third timeout, even had a chance to use it instead of taking a 10-second runoff on a false start. So they basically, at best, tie the game, which is what they ended up doing, and of course they lose in overtime on the Cousins to Kyle Rudolph four-yard touchdown pass, which does not really get reviewed, even though Al Riveron said, yeah, yeah, we looked at it, it was fine. 
And that's, to me, what I'll only remember from that game. Kirk Cousins, though, congratulations to him. Never had a playoff win before. He made the throws when he needed to. Troy Aikman called that 43-yarder to uh, Adam Thielen the best pass of Kirk Cousins' career, which set up the game-winning touchdown. San Francisco now, favored by seven points in this game. The total is 44. Parlay, we start with you, sir. All right, so this is, this is the toughest game on the board for me. Uh, because I can see about seven different things occurring in this game. Uh, the most likely thing that I see occurring in this game, Gil, I'm not going to pick a side. I, I, I'll go over the total here. Uh, we're going with 44 and a half consensus is what I'm seeing right now. Uh, and San Francisco, really, New Orleans moved the ball whenever they wanted when Taysom Hill was in there. Uh, San Francisco's running backs, obviously, is a great collection of backs. I know their offensive line is banged up, but I, I feel like San Francisco will be able to move the ball. And if Minnesota's offensive line holds up, and this has been the case the whole year against the Niners, when the opposing offensive line is held up against that elite pass rush, the Niners have given up points. And I think I, Minnesota's offensive line, obviously, is not the greatest. We saw them turn. Green Bay into the 85 Bears in week 16 on that Monday night. But now that the monkey is off Kirk Cousins' back, I have a feeling he's going to play loose with no pressure in this game, and Minnesota's going to hang around, and there's going to be points, and this is something in the area code of 31-24 or 28-24 with the Niners winning, but I don't feel comfortable enough laying the seven, so I'll go over the total. Uh, in Niners in Minnesota. And we'll give you 44 consensus on that total. Even better. Even better. Uh, I'm with you on the side. I have no play on the side pre-flop for me. Nothing. Uh, Michael Palm. I uh, I bet this at six and a half, Gil, when the number opened. I laid the points here. I think this is a really tough spot for the Vikings, having uh, playing on six days rest and really losing two days to travel. Having had to go to New Orleans, come back, then fly to San Francisco, play Sunday afternoon and then the early game on Saturday, you get a a 49ers team that's rested, healthy, had a lot of time to game plan here. And I'm not in love with Kirk Cousins on grass, okay? We've seen his performances on grass through the years have not been great, especially on the road. You can say, yes, they beat San Diego by 30, but San Diego, what, they turn it over seven, eight, nine times? kept giving Minnesota the ball. There were defensive scores. I, I go back to the Bears game, which is probably a, a, a better comparison when they played in September um, to what they'll face in San Francisco. You know, it's it'll be cool and it'll be windy in San Francisco as well. I think on paper, the 49ers on a neutral field are probably four and a half, five points better. So I felt comfortable laying six and a half. I know the numbers moved to seven. But I still think that's a play with the 49ers. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Kirk Cousins on grass. After all, he played his entire uh, Redskin career and put up a whole bunch of gaudy stats on grass in D.C. But I do have doubts about his decision-making late in games, although obviously we didn't see it at New Orleans. I'm not over that yet. But I also have issues with the Niners in that I love them. I still think they're going to the Super Bowl. But special teams plays a little shoddy sometimes. Kyle Shanahan, for as great as he has been, and I love Kyle Shanahan as a coach. He made RG3 great in D.C. But he makes some curious managerial decisions late in games also. And as Todd has often said, and maybe I'm segueing right to you on this, Todd, there's always that worry that Jimmy G is going to do something wrong at some critical point. So I am just staying off this pre-flop, Todd. I'm going to lean with Mike. I'm not going to bet this, but I lean San Francisco. And uh, and here's why. Minnesota all year was great at home and crappy on the road. It is Kirk Cousins. I don't trust Kirk Cousins. I know he played a good game in New Orleans, but come on. They were up 20-10 to 10 and let the other team back in the game. It's not exactly like they you know, slaughtered New Orleans or anything. Um, San Francisco at any time can open up a giant can of whoop ass on somebody with their running game, their, their Kittle, their, you know, they can blow people out. They blew the Packers out at home. They blew uh, some other teams out. I, I, it doesn't come to mind right away, but they blew other teams at, uh, out at home. Minnesota is, you know, a similar team to the Green Bay Packers. Why can't San Francisco blow them out if they're playing well? 
On the other hand, as you said, there's a little nervousness about Jimmy. I don't think it's going to show up here. I think it's going to show up in a, in a bigger round than this. Uh, I lean to San Francisco. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to – I'll probably in-game this, but uh, San Francisco is the side for me. I, I just don't think Minnesota can do it two weeks in a row. San Francisco weather, 55-degree high on Saturday for this. Uh, 10% chance of precipitation, so barely at all. But 17-mile-per-hour winds, which is interesting that that comes up on the weather report. As far as the uh, weather for Baltimore, which is the next game on Saturday, uh, should be, let's see, I'm on the wrong day, Saturday, 20% chance of rain. Should really be even warmer in Baltimore than it is in San Francisco, which for people who live in the Bay probably aren't very surprised by that. But should be high 50s in Baltimore. Could be a lot, excuse me, by game time, should be in the 60s. Uh, in Baltimore. So very good balmy weather in Baltimore for this one between the Titans and the Ravens. 8.15 p.m. start in Charm City, as they like to call it. By the way, it'll be 63 degrees according to this long-range forecast. Uh, 10.5 point favorites. No, let's call it 10 point favorites. It's either 9.5 or 10 point favorites in favor of the Ravens. Krakenberger, Bill Krakenberger and I were talking about this on a numbers game at VEASAN this morning on Sirius XM Channel 204, how a lot of books have the tens to prevent six-and-a-half-point teasers from getting to the three. But it's tens or nines or nine-and-a-halves. Totals 46-and-a-half, 47. Tennessee with that amazing win over the Patriots. Biggest sequence, of course, of that game was that goal line stand when the Patriots were up late in the first half. They were up 10-7, first and goal at the one. Two plays where they lost a yard and gained a yard, and then on third down, no sneak on any of those downs from Tom Brady, whose calling card has always been the quarterback sneak. They lose three yards, they kick a field goal. Titans score before the end of the half, and they hold that score, 14-13, really the whole way until the final sequence of the game when there was a pick six. Patriots ended up getting the ball subsequently there with nine seconds left. That's when the pick six happened. But Baltimore, number one seed in the AFC against the low seed in the AFC in Tennessee. Baltimore with a 10-point bulge or nine and a half. Mike, you got first crack at this. Yeah, uh, I like this game over. Um, I think that Baltimore is going to put up a lot of points here. Um, I don't think that this Tennessee defense, the defensive line, you know, the Patriots, had struggles running the ball. I don't think Baltimore will have these struggles. Um, and then I think that will open the game up for for Lamar. I, I I get a little hesitant on laying close to 10 in this spot because I just, to Todd's point, you're up 14, you're up, you know, you're up uh, 13 late, and that back door is always open. So uh, I prefer to take this total over. I think the weather will be decent, and I think Baltimore will, will score somewhere close to 30 points. Can anyone stop Derrick Henry, I guess, is what this really comes down to for me. Todd, your thoughts? Uh, I'm looking at Baltimore's defense, and I see I wasn't as impressed with Tennessee's win. Now, we all, we all won with that Tennessee thing, but that was more a bet against New England than a bet on Tennessee. I wasn't impressed with the fact that Tennessee couldn't score at all in the second half against New England. And that really – Tannehill really kind of looked like Miami Tannehill in that game rather than new and improved Tannehill. But if you look at who he did it against, there weren't a lot of really big teams in there. And the one really good team they played, they got spanked by New Orleans after taking a big lead. Baltimore Ravens, if you look back over the last about 10 to 12 weeks, the most points they've ever given up is 20 to New England when they won 37-20 in a blowout. Other than that, it's a bunch of 13-16-17-6-7-10-15 against teams similar to Tennessee. So I don't see Tennessee getting more than maybe... 17 to 20 points here. And so I lean Baltimore actually in the game. I think Baltimore can easily get to 30, you know, 31, 17 wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, I, I lean Baltimore uh, again. I was not that impressed with Tennessee. I think it was more new England just didn't have the horses and, you know, they won because new England couldn't score. Uh, you know, I'm not that impressed with Tennessee. Look, when they played the Saints, one of the few really good teams they played, they were up big and just blew the whole game. So, you know, why can't Baltimore get into the 30s on them? They should easily be able to. I'll, I'll lean Baltimore. I notice you've leaned San Francisco and leaned Baltimore, but not bets for you? Preflop? None? I'm probably I'll probably do some form of teasing with these games. Yeah, me too. Uh, I don't think I don't think I'm going to pre-flop bet them, but I'll definitely be you know probably looking for ways to either ten point tease, uh, seven point tease, finding some kind of 
tease, you know, combination because I like these two favorites. I'm the same way. I loved a couple games last week pre-flop, but did and Tennessee being one of them. Even on the money line, as we discussed on this show, but I'm with you. I am not gravitating towards these games in terms of ATS preflop the same way. But yes, teasers are definitely going to be in play. We'll get to that uh, momentarily, and not to fixate on uh, Derrick Henry. But I brought this up on the uh, on the radio side. Do you see that footage they had of Derrick Henry in high school? That was the most comical high school footage. I have ever seen of anybody. It's like if the four of us ran out a peewee football team to play us, and then we had Todd just bowl all of them over. Like it's just, <laughs> it was just unbelievable to watch. And uh, Dave Fair and Matt Brown and I, we do a fantasy show on Sunday. We started to look up Derrick Henry's stats his senior year in high school. He had two different times where he had back-to-back games with six touchdowns. He had another game where he had like fifty-seven carries for four hundred and fifty-some yards. Just ridiculous. But he has been. Better and better as the year progresses. He did the same thing last year. We will see if Baltimore can uh, hold him in check. That'll go a long way towards determining this one. Jeff? I'm, I, I, I agree with not betting this game pre-flop. Uh, this is a lean for me as well. And I'll go actually oppo of what Todd said. And I'll go with the Titans uh, getting the 10 or the 9.5, especially if it's the whole 10. Uh, Derrick Henry didn't play against New Orleans uh, the uh, Titans have beaten Kansas City during this stretch when they've uh, when when they've gotten when they had Tannehill and they've gotten better and gotten the playoffs. Granted, that was such a wacko game, and it was almost two months ago. But look, Tennessee's defense does not get enough credit, and I know New England is lacking weapons, and it's a shell of what that offense has been through the years. But they still shut down the Patriots after that after that goal line stand. The Patriots never threatened to score again. And at some point, when it was kept hanging at 14, 13, he's still in the back of your mind. It's like, it's still Brady. It's still Belichick. The Patriots are going to find a way. And the Titans never even allowed them to even get close to field goal range to take the lead at the end of that game. And the one thing I keep coming back to, the Ravens have not played a bad game since week four. At some point, a clunker has to show up, or the Ravens are, like Aaron Schott said on a numbers game last week, Gil, or the Ravens are legitimately a top seven team in the history of the NFL if they don't have a clunker. Yeah. So at some point, something's gonna something's got to give. Either Baltimore is a legitimate top ten team of all time, or they're gonna have a clunker. And Tennessee is a, is an uneasy matchup because of the way they run the ball and the way they play defense. This feels like a one score game, so it's an easy. It, it would be a take up the nine and a half or ten with Tennessee for me. Yeah, and I hope people listen to the first part of this podcast because I threw on the Aaron Shot segment where he does, by his rankings, again, from Football Outsiders, which go all the way back through the 1985 season, he's got the Baltimore Ravens, as far as regular seasons are concerned, as the seventh greatest team in the last 34 years or 35 years of the National Football League. As far as Sunday, you know? yes, please. Can, can I can I say something? Please. He also said, I, I like Aaron Schatz. I like models. He also, earlier in the season, has New England as, I think, the best defense or second best defense of all time. I mean, can we just slow our roll a little bit well, here? Well, they, the finished, they best. finished 16th best. Right. But I'm saying at the time, yeah. he was telling us that it was number one or number two. And you and I questioned so these it. Models, you and I questioned it. Yeah. Right. Right, and so I will question that if the Ravens win the Super Bowl, they're the seventh best team of all time. I think that is also a little, uh, I don't know, aggressive. Well, and I questioned him as well, but I think what was interesting more than anything is the gap between the Ravens in terms of all of his simulations and other teams winning the Super Bowls. This was before uh, winning the Super Bowl. This is before the playoffs started. That in his simulations, the Ravens win 44% of the time the Chiefs and the Niners, 14% of the time. Like, that is a gap that I think most observers would be like, wow, are you serious? But, Jeff, your counter to what Todd's saying would be what? Look, if they can play, they have not played a bad game since they lost to Cleveland in week four. So, the, basically, the big counter to me on that is is it is extremely difficult to play double-digit weeks in a row of near flawless football. You could argue that Lamar Jackson has not played a single bad game since then. Their special teams has played flawlessly, except for that random Thursday night against the Jets. 
And Todd brought it up perfectly defensively. The Ravens' defense has been really good since they got Marcus Peters, and they've been shutting teams down. And just at some point to me, and the reason I lean Tennessee is how it is nearly impossible to play 13 straight games with no clunkers. Yeah. So I just would I, I would Tennessee. be scared. I would just be scared with the fact I think that the, that Tennessee's going to have to score some points to stay inside the number. And Derrick Henry is not really a point scorer. He's more of a control of the ball person. Look, look, Todd, Todd, the big thing, too, is, and you mentioned, and you're right, Ryan Tannehill could come out and throw three interceptions, and it's 21-0 Baltimore, nine minutes into the game, and my bet's cooked. That's 100% the case. But I'm I'm relying on, on, on Tennessee's defense, which I don't think gets enough credit, to slow down Baltimore enough. And then when they're on offense, Derrick Henry, not to do what he did last week, because that's... 180 yards is not going to happen every week. If Henry's in the 120s, Tennessee's got a shot here to at least keep this thing within the number. And, of course, down 16 with with five minutes to go, they could get a backdoor touchdown, and then I'm in that one, too. Yeah, I mean, that's why why most of us aren't on anything preflop, because we can see all kinds of scenarios. Last thing about the, uh, the greatest team of all time thing, or greatest team at least through 1985, you know, we often talk about recency bias when it comes to week-to-week National Football League and our handicapping. This is sort of the opposite of recency bias, that we're almost too close to the sun with a team like the 2019 Ravens. We almost go the other direction when we think about teams of lore. So while we're in the moment, I don't think we always realize, because what Jeff's saying is right, we may not realize just how good this team is that we're watching in Baltimore. The number one team since 1985 for Aaron Schatz and Football Outsiders through his metric of DVOA is the 1991 Washington Redskins. And unless you're a Redskins fan like me, who lived every snap of that season and knew as a fan, this is the greatest damn fucking football team I've ever seen in my damn life. Most people who are football fans, as big football fans as I am, don't process it that way. Didn't at the time. But with time, they're probably like, oh, wow, Mark Rippon only got sacked seven times all year? Oh, wait a minute. They only lost one legitimate game all season and all the postseason? So I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's, a, it's a bolder take for Aaron to say what he's saying about the Ravens than it is for us to say, wait a minute, that can't be right about the Ravens. I think that needs to be said. Anyway, let's move to Yell, I have a Yell, I, I'd like to ask the panel a question. Please. How big of a factor do you think – for Lamar Jackson, his performance against San Diego in the divisional round will be as he heads into this game. Interesting question. Do you mean the, the San Diego game last year? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, when when at the it, when in the fourth quarter the, the the Baltimore fans were booing and calling for Flacco. So let's just make a scenario. Let's say Tennessee goes up ten to nothing. Like, does that creep into Lamar Jackson? Is that what you're asking? I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. How big of a factor was what? Probably his worst pro performance last year, which was in the playoffs against the Chargers. I don't. I don't think it's going to have be a factor. And and you know these guys, they're playing. I don't think they're thinking about that kind of thing. But uh, Lamar Jackson has been pretty much unstoppable all year. Harbaugh has been fantastic. Uh, the offensive coordinator has, has has created a brilliant scheme there. I really don't think that's going to be an issue. And I, I personally, I really don't think that Tennessee is that good just based on on the New England game. I mean, New England lost to Miami at home. They were not a good team at the end of the year. Tennessee barely squeaked that game out. Now, Jeff was saying New England never got close. Had had the guy um, Edelman not dropped the ball around the 50-yard line, they may have lost the game. So... Um, I don't think it's going to have a major factor and in, in, be a major factor in this game for Lamar. I think they're just they're they're rolling too well right now, and uh, you know I, I just don't really buy into that kind of stuff. I'm I'm with Todd on that. Mike, you feel otherwise for asking the question? I'm I'm guessing it, it, it's a, it's a, it's 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 I think it's a question you have to ask when handicapping this game and wonder, especially from in-game opportunities, if the start isn't ideal as Jeff suggests, for Baltimore, will that put extra pressure on Jackson in this spot? Definitely worth pondering, and, and time will tell. I mean, just in general, Baltimore falling behind in a game. Like, we just don't see that, right? So, Well, well, well Gil, uh, add one thing here. 
Why does John Harbaugh, look, Harbaugh's an unbelievable coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl with Flacco, for goodness sakes. Um, they've never been the hunted. Right. They've always been the hunter. Right. This is the first time that they're the number one overall seed. Everyone's trying to chase down Baltimore. Now, it's a whole different team than what they've had in the past. Obviously, Ray Lewis is gone. Flacco's gone. Ed Reed's gone. All those elite players from those from even that Super Bowl team, for the most part, aren't there anymore. But this is a new game for John Harbaugh as a coach. And I, I imagine he'll, he'll probably be his steady hand self. But I think Mike's question does have a little bit of merit. I don't think it will impact it because I think Lamar Jackson's a completely different player than he was 12 months ago, uh, especially throwing the football. He's a lot more confident and he was much better this year. And then he was at any point a year ago throwing the ball. But if it's somehow 10 nothing Tennessee at the end of the at the end of the first quarter and Baltimore struggling to move the ball, that's when the questions can start creeping in a little bit. Well, I guess that's what I'm saying is is we've we've framed it as a Lamar Jackson mental thing. But what I guess I'm saying is they're just never behind to begin with. How would we be able right. to differentiate between the fact that it's Lamar or just the fact that the team as a whole is just never used to being in this position? Are they a team built for a comeback, right? So it'll be fun to watch. That's the second game on Saturday, that's for sure. Sunday, uh, another AFC game. This is the game between the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. 3.05 Eastern, 12.05 Pacific start. Chiefs, Nine and a half, ten point favorites, right in that same pocket as Baltimore the day before. Um, Houston, boy, I don't know how they won that game against Buffalo, but man, sixteen to nothing deficit. They come back to make it sixteen to eight. Strip sack. They get a field goal, then a three and out. Buffalo, excuse me, Houston takes the lead after a two point conversion. It's nineteen to sixteen. Buffalo, matri- you know, matriculates. There's a Josh Allen lateral on the way down. <laughs> Out of matriculation. I don't know what he was doing. But anyway, they end up getting it third down in field goal range to tie the game. The Bills do. Intentional grounding. Horrible sack. They lose 33 yards on two plays. That second play, they should have punted anyway on fourth and 27, but there was no one in Sean McDermott's ear to say, hey, uh, coach, probably should punt. We got the three timeouts anyway. Might as well pin them. Uh, but they do end up successfully using those three timeouts after three rushes, and then Houston doesn't convert on a fourth and one where Deshaun Watson gets stoned. Buffalo ends up tying it in regulation. Houston on an unbelievable, iconic play for their franchise. Deshaun Watson bounces off two tackles, spin and bounces, really. Finds his running back, 34-yard pickup, and of course, uh, Kaimi Fairbairn wins it in overtime, 22-19. And that, of course, doesn't even include the phantom blindside block on the Bills that preceded that, that took them out of potential game-winning field goal range. Houston's here. Somehow they got through, but they get the Chiefs. Weather in Kansas City. If this game were on Saturday, snow in the forecast. But on Sunday, above freezing and nothing but sunshine in KC. Uh, we start with you, Todd, on this one. First of all, I just want to say, I is there a team, is there a coach that does worse on fourth and inches than Bill O'Brien in the history of football? <laughs> I can remember... So many fourth down and less than one where Bill O'Brien somehow blew it. And it happened again this past week. But I can remember a Raiders game one time and there was a Chiefs game. I mean, just so many antics and craziness happening when it's I remember one time he gave it to like a 160 pound back on fourth and one and didn't make it from many years ago. He is just a fourth and one nightmare. Uh, anyways, that, that, that being said, I don't think Houston has a chance in hell in this game. I know they beat them early in the year. That was a different Kansas City team. I think Kansas City has their ducks in a row. Am I going to pregame bet it? Probably not. Again, I'll probably be looking to use it in some form of teaser. I don't think Houston's that good. I don't even think they should have won the game last week. I think if Buffalo, you know, had played that a little smarter, there, there was no way Houston was even coming back in that game. Uh, so many things had to go right for them to even advance. I, I think they're a very flawed football team with a very flawed coach. Again, I think he's a good coach, not an elite coach. He's kind of like a Tomlin. He can get you to 9, 10, 11 wins, but he's not going to take you anywhere spectacular. I'm not a fan of Bill O'Brien as far as being an elite coach. So, you know, like I said, I'll probably be on some form of Kansas City and teasing, but uh, I don't want any part of Houston. 
Yeah, I failed to mention the total is the one that's moved the most on the board. 48.5 all the way to 51 now. 51 across the board in this game. And I wonder if that's because the weather looks like it will have cleared up already by Sunday. Jeff? I'll go under that 51. How is Houston going to score more than uh, score more than 10 points in this game with the way Kansas City's defense is starting starting to play over these last six weeks? Uh, first matchup was a high-scoring game that uh, – that, that, uh, finished at 55, but it was a different Kansas City Chiefs squad there. Mahomes had his banged-up ankle. Uh, The Chief defense was still historically awful at that point uh, early in the year, but the Chief defense has really really looked like a real unit uh, and a good unit the last six games. Mahomes is healthy. The offense is healthy as a whole. This Chiefs team is really, really scary right now as a whole. Uh, I, I don't feel comfortable laying that many points because we same reason that I wouldn't lay it with Baltimore. All it takes is one backdoor touchdown and you're screwed, even though uh, even though you may be up 17 or, or 14 basically the whole way. Uh, I'll go under to 51. This uh, th- this Kansas City team, Gil, uh, there's a reason that I hopped in on them on the futures market uh, uh, in between week 16 and 17, which ended up turning out to be the correct time to do it. We couldn't have foreseen New England botching that game to Miami, but they did. So uh, can't, I, I'm all in on KC uh, winning this game. Not comfortable enough to lay the points, uh, but I'll go under. I'm not sure how Houston scores more than 10 or 10 or 14 points in this game. And let's not forget that Houston-Buffalo game. Referees almost tried to give Buffalo, gift I should say, Buffalo a touchdown uh, on the opening kickoff of the second half when uh, referees briefly decided not to pay attention to the safe signal <laughs> given by uh, the Houston return man tried to give Buffalo a touchdown when they recovered in the end zone, but cooler heads prevailed from the referees caucusing, and they decided, okay, no, that's not what he meant. He did give a safe sign. Let's not all get crazy. Sort of like that coin flip in that Cowboys-Rams game where Dak Prescott did or did not say defer, and they were like, oh, no, they get the ball twice, and then cooler heads prevailed there as well. The XFL is showing us that all of this referee injection stuff, just stop it. You know exactly what... Dak Prescott meant if a team receives in one half, it should just be given that they, or excuse me, if they kick off, if they defer in uh, one half, they should just get the ball automatically in the second, and much like this with the safe sign that was given. He's given himself up. Shouldn't be a touchdown. Let's not act like it should be. Mike, did you feel that way about that play? I did, Gil. It's it's beyond ridiculous now, and the level of the officiating has sunk to its lowest. And maybe I'm remembering things as they never were, but growing up, I, I, I don't remember so many gaffes on a weekly basis where you could find a top five bad horrendous calls or top ten. Or I totally so many agree. of these So many of these head officials now are just empty suits, and they're not memorable at all. And we, we grew up with very uh, what seemed like commanding figures in these games. And maybe replay has changed it, but it's, it, the credibility of the product continues to decline. I agree. It's a, I don't remember it being like this before. And coaching decisions being so bad. Your thoughts on this one, Mikey? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy here, but I think this is too many points. Um, let's remember that Kansas City was life and death to beat San Diego by and Phillip Rivers by 10 in the last game of the year. I mean, they needed a kick-return touchdown to really, uh, really turn that game around. I, I don't know, watching, and maybe it's a recency bias of, uh, of watching Deshaun Watson and how, how tough he is down the stretch in games and and, you know, they have some weapons back this week. And I, I think that they keep this game within the number. I, I, I cannot lay it. I'm not sure if I pre-flop it or if I wait for endgame, but I'm a heavy lean here on, uh, on, the, on uh, the Texans. Wow. I'm surprised. You're, you're the first person I've heard say that this week. Sort of like the Clemson-LSU thing I'm getting worried about because everybody's with Clemson and the points. Nobody was talking about the Vikings being able to beat the Saints last week, too. And nobody's talking about the Texans this week. You're 100% right. I didn't hear one person until like that morning when somebody, I met somebody from Minnesota, Dave Ferrer's brother, who's like, oh, I think they'll win. Until that point, I had not heard one person think the Vikings could win outright. Seattle at Green Bay is obviously the last game of the four. Winner plays the winner of Minnesota-San Francisco in the NFC. Weather in Green Bay, once again, if it were Saturday, they'd have snow. Instead, it's just going to be cold as hell. 20 to 24 degrees. Obviously, we've seen games much colder in Green Bay before. By Green Bay standards, maybe that's even a little balmy at this time of year. Green Bay's a four-point favorite. There's some four-and-a-halves out there as well. Uh, In this one, the total's 47. Shortest spread of the board, that's for sure. Jeff, we start with you here. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man! So Seattle needed Josh McCown to play that whole game instead of Carson Wentz in order to win that game, Gil. Uh, I really do believe that because at some point, I mean, McCown kept driving them down and driving them down, and then something would befell the Eagles, and they wouldn't, we couldn't get in the end zone last week. Uh, Green Bay, as we talked about on this podcast and on the numbers game, and basically all over, all over the Visa Network as well. Uh, Green Bay's paper tiger, thirteen and three, but yet here they are, they're the two seed. Uh, they could very, this game could very easily. It wouldn't stun me if Minnesota went to San Francisco and won. Uh, but uh, but it, it, we could be staying. All right, this game is for home field in the a- NFC Championship game. Uh, I, I have nothing on this game. You know, I, there are no no bets at all uh, because I, I could see Seattle winning the game outright. I could see Green Bay winning by two touchdowns. I could see this game ending 28-24. I could see this game ending 13-9. to uh, I, it's, I have no feel whatsoever. So this is, a, this is a complete nothing for me in this game. I just got a text. This has nothing to do with anything pro football that Mike Leach is headed to Mississippi State. Oh, my God. So you got those Lane. egg bowls are going to be something. <laughs> they are really between Lane Kiffin and uh, Mike Leach. Wow, can't lose the press conference. Yeah, of course, as Jeff was alluding to, Seattle got here by virtue of their win over the Eagles last week. Carson Wentz hurt in the first quarter. I was saying on a numbers game, all these people are like, "Up, oh, Carson Wentz can't get it done." The big game, he got blindsided in the helmet and pounded into the ground. Stop with the Carson Wentz narratives. Uh, but Seattle got it done. Identical 17-9 to win over the Eagles that they had in the regular season. Much different trajectory of the game, though. And in this one, I would argue, you know, for as much as I kill Sean Payton in his performance against the Vikings, Pete Carroll kind of botched the clock at the end of the first half, but he got bailed out by a roughing the passer penalty. And at the end of the game, if that pass doesn't get completed from uh, Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf, who knows, maybe people are killing Pete Carroll for that, too. I happen to like that pass at that time. But the Seahawks get it done. They sack McCown six times, Wentz one time before that, seven total sacks. Mikey, what do you think here? I love this under, Gil. Hmm. But let's not forget this is a 5.30 local start. This is a night game. It will be dark already at kickoff in Green Bay, and it's only going to get colder as the game goes on. I think the total's way too high. We've seen the cold-weather games in Green Bay already this year. Uh, It's very hard to catch these long passes. It's hard to move the ball down the field quick. Um, I think the Green Bay defense has gotten better through the course of the year. Um, I still think at 13-3, and they've overachieved. That that record is how good as they really are. I think their offense is actually their weakness. Um, I I would think that Green Bay is going to be able to win in this spot just because Seattle really doesn't have a rushing attack and it'll make them one-dimensional. But this is, for me, it's a play on first quarter under, first half under, and game under. 47 is the total right now in this game as we do this on Thursday morning. Again, not not quite the ice bowl, not quite that game against the Giants where Tom Coughlin's face fell off, uh, but still 20, <laughs> 20, 20 40 degrees. Uh, by the way, I thought Tom Coughlin was going to die on the field that game. Like, I really was concerned for his health. Todd? You know, I just want Russell Wilson when uh, – I'm in a tough spot. He just seems so incredibly elusive and able to pull plays out of his out of his butt. I, I just don't understand how you stop the guy. Now, granted, there have been games where he has been stopped. Uh, the game against Arizona was kind of a conundrum. Uh, how that happened, uh, I wasn't really sure. Uh, and there have been a, a, another couple of games where Seattle just hasn't looked that great on offense. And quite frankly, Seattle's defense is not exactly great either. Um but, you know, in the end, if I'm getting four and a half, I mean, this this is the kind of game that feels to me like a backdoor touchdown could easily get scored. Uh, I think I want Russell Wilson running around like a crazy person, causing Green Bay's defense tremendous uh, problems late. And, uh, you know, if anything, I would lean to Seattle here. Also, Green Bay's just been up and down. I mean, they got blown out at San Francisco. They got blown out by the Chargers. I mean, who is Green Bay? They killed Minnesota on the road. Are they the good team? Are they the bad team? I'm not sure what they are. So, um, you know, I don't like this game much, but if I have to play it, I would uh, lean to Seattle. Yeah, I I, literally, I don't remember a show where I didn't have one single pre-flop pick on any of these. I'm doing uh, 
radio in my uh, hometown, Washington, D.C., later today. And I don't know what I can provide these people other than teasers, which are about to come up. But uh, you raised an interesting point there, too, Todd, which, is, which makes the NFL – this is what makes the NFL so maddening. You pointed out Seattle just a couple weeks ago. They looked like dog crap against Arizona. And Minnesota, two weeks before their win last week against the Saints, they looked, as Jeff put it, uh, as we said it, as we put it on a numbers game this week, they made the Packers defense look like the 85 Bears. So, and then two weeks later, they're this unbelievable team on the, on the complete opposite end. So it, it's just such a maddening game to be able to determine from week to week, even here with full motivation, obviously. Uh, in the postseason. As always, guys, support for today's show comes from Bookmaker.eu, an industry leader for close to 30 years. Pro players consider them a must because their first to post odds take the highest limits and pride themselves on never having kicked out a winning player. That is huge. Bookmaker's a high-volume sports book best suited for the sophisticated player, also caters to large recreational players, and their motto is always, is where the lines originate, because chances are the sports book at which you've been betting follows their lines. Pretty damn good chance, as a matter of fact. And right now, if you visit bookmaker.eu slash gill, that's bookmaker.eu slash g-i-l-l, you'll claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus of up to $300. That's bookmaker.eu slash gill to join and claim your welcome bonus of up to $300 right now. You will not regret it. Betting the only way I know how, the indispensable, bookmaker.eu. Check it out. Thank me later. Which brings us to speed round. Uh, We'll get to the final two questions momentarily, but let's start with our two-team six-point teasers of the week, which, once again, I wasn't able to get correct last week because uh, who who, who killed it for me? Oh, because New Orleans didn't get there. New Orleans didn't get there. That's right. Jeff, let's start with you. uh, Two-team six-pointer, sir. All right, San Francisco down to one, and I will. Uh, I'll make this all Saturday so I can get the. I can just torture myself for one day. We'll <laughs> we'll, we'll pop a. Uh, we'll pop Tennessee up uh, uh, to the sixteen or the fifteen and a half, whichever number it is. Uh, we'll pop Tennessee up. So San Francisco minus one, and Tennessee either sixteen or fifteen and a half. I don't hate it, Mikey. Mm. Well, the 49ers is the obvious one for me. Down to one. Uh... I think I'll take the Texans up to 15 and a half or whatever. The wow. There. Okay. Dad? Give me, give me Seattle plus a, uh, 10 and a half. And give me the San Francisco 49ers down to one. Oh, Toddy, I have your same teaser. That means it's going to lose. San Francisco, uh, Seattle. Huh. Uh, uh, so sh- should we all be betting Minnesota now <laughs> since we all had the Niners in there? Oh, man, this is not good. Not good. By the way, uh, Todd and I do a segment. He's on every Wednesday with me. We do a segment on a numbers game at VEASAN, uh, 7 to 9 Pacific, 10 to noon Eastern, uh, Monday through Friday at Sirius XM 204, called Half-Baked Betting Tips with Todd. Because if they were fully baked, we wouldn't talk about them. Do you enjoy the half-baked segment, Todd, or is it pretty much all that we talk about, sort of in-game half-baked stuff? It's not really half-baked. You know, we, we think it I, through. I just love coming on a numbers game and doing my... Uh, you know, my part for the community gives something back, you know. <laughs> well, you, well, you have the multi-million dollar contract with the podcast, so what do you care now? Exactly. Exactly. All right, final two questions, gentlemen. Uh, again, we asked this during the regular season, and it makes more sense. But with four games on the slate, you could still ask it. We'll throw out Seattle Green Bay because that's the short number, uh, which is below six, six and a half. And we'll ask it of the other three games. Of the big favorites, San Francisco favored by seven over Minnesota. Baltimore favored by nine and a half or ten against Tennessee. And Kansas City favored by nine and a half or ten against Houston. Which of the big favorites is the most likely to lose outright? Mikey. Chiefs. Chiefs. Wow. Todd. The biggest favorite to lose outright, I think, is going to be. Hmm. That's a tough one. Well, yeah, we're uh, supposed to say San Francisco, but we all we all picked them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I I I can't really see one. I mean, it, the Seattle's not going to count, right? So, well, no, Seattle's doesn't count. You can't pick that one. I don't want to pick any of these teams. Yeah, I don't want to pick any of them. All right, I like it. I don't want to pick any of them, Jeff. Baltimore. Yeah, I'm going to say Baltimore. Wow. I'm going to say Baltimore. Just because I can't bring myself to say Kansas City against Houston. Although Houston, I mean, everything I just said about Green Bay, excuse me, about Minnesota and Seattle, I could say that about 
Houston two in the opposite, right? Houston one week they're terrible, the next week I was like, oh, there's Houston. They can beat anybody. And then they suck. So, yeah, I'm going Baltimore, though. All right, and then the final question, uh, you had to play. This is going to be sort of counterintuitive because we don't like any of these. <laughs> so maybe I should say Maybe I should do it the other way around. Let's say you didn't have to play any of these, but you were forced to play one of them pre-flop ATS, which I've never really asked before, but this seems like the appropriate week to ask it. You were forced to play ATS on one of these games. Which team in which game would it be, Todd? If I, if I, if I didn't one game that I don't want to play ever, I'm yeah. going to say... In other the, words, on the side, is there one you're forced to play? Like I, You didn't like any of them pre-flop ATS, right? Right. Okay, So, but I'm forcing you to pick one, Todd. It's not that complicated. Which one do you want? I guess if you're forcing me to play, I'll take San Francisco. <laughs> did you, you didn't want to answer either of the final two questions, did you? All right. I don't like. I didn't like these questions this yeah, week. I'm sorry. Right, that's, that's an answer, I guess. Jeff. Oh, well, by virtue of the fact that I gave Tennessee as a lean, I would take the Titans if oh. you're going to make them pick one of these four games. And Mikey. I already gave San Francisco yep. out. You already gave San Francisco. Mine would be the Seattle Seahawks. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Obviously, they're in my tease with uh, the Niners, but that would be my choice. All right, boys, uh, I think that's really it. Really, we've done all we can do. Divisional round, National Football League. Uh, Jeff, Parlay, thank you very much for coming in on such short notice. You are a mensch. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Gil. Always, always a pleasure. And we will have Michael Lombardi on next week with us for championship round. And then the weekend between championship round and the Super Bowl, I know, Todd, you said you're going to be out, out of town, but we're still doing a lifestyle podcast. Are you still down for that, or do you want me to get somebody else to do it? No, I'll do Lifestyles of the Relatives of the Rich and Famous. Okay, well, it's not kind of like that show. It's more like restaurants, and uh, I don't know what else you do. You don't do anything but do sports, though. You bet sports. Well, Todd can tell us his favorite sports books in town. Gil, Gil, this might might be a good week for uh, for the Parles food expertise to to hop in for. I I can testify that Jeff Parles does enjoy food at a very (laughs) high level. Of uh, quantity, let's put it that he way. He does. Well, Mike, Mikey's definitely in. Yes, Mikey, you're in for that kind of show. I'm, I'm in, but I, I'm interested, Gil, in the concept of having Todd on to do a lifestyle show when he's famous for not having a life. <laughs> life at all. No life and no style. Both. <laughs> Look, you know what? I will, uh, I will take those both as a compliment. Thank you. Of course, Mark Meltzer will be here to join us. Uh, man about town for the Vegas Lifestyle Show. But that's after next week when we have Lombardi Championship Round. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Todd. Good luck to all of you. Division Round, National Football League. Thank you so much for listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.